It is Friday, the 27th of September. I'm your host, Ryan Kier, and this is the Quantium Cast. I just want to start off by giving a quick disclaimer that we do not give the full story of companies mentioned in this podcast. Why? Because from the time that we get our RNS flow at 7am, just as everybody else does, the recording time is 7.15, so we have 15 minutes to analyze as many companies as we can and get a story that is unbiased out there. But that story is not about the entire company's financial history, but it is merely about what is happening today. And then we give a brief overview of what has happened before. That means we are very likely to miss out some elements, but we go for the key elements. And the key elements of analysis for us include financial analysis, so fundamental side thoughts, and also technical analysis. So what is in the now short-term financials and long-term and also short-term and also medium-term technicals so that we can help traders and investors actively manage their risk. I also had a further read into Vela Technologies. This company is uh, an investment company, an investment vehicle. It seems that I made a mistake. I must have yesterday mentioned that they were a tech company, but they actually invested into early stage tech investments and they try to go for a disruptive approach. So what we're going to do is just have a quick look at some of the company names that they've mentioned in their investments. They've got WeShop with a 100k value on the 31st of March 2018, but the paper value of around £427,000. So these guys have basically quadrupled their money. Crazy stuff. Airporter, 3.1% of a shareholding. They invested a further £91,341 through a two-stage Series A funding in August 2019. And uh, Airporter shows a loss, but it is, once again, an early-stage tech company and it seems that this will probably deliver a further return to Vela because Vela got in at the earliest stage of funding. You usually have series A, B, C, D, and and all of them gradually get more expensive with companies such as these. We could talk about Uber's series A versus when they went on to the next few stages. Vela also have shares in a company called Vibe Group Holdings, and they are going to launch their first Vibe paid product on the end of September 2019. And this company is basically a social banking business, which is quite cool as well. You've got Interbit, and we'd like to clarify something on Interbit that uh, we had mentioned yesterday that Vela had invested in blockchain and crypto, and none of these investments had come through. But in fact, their investment in Interbit, previously known as BTL, is a company that they had invested in at 50 cents this is Canadian cents per share, and hit nearly $18. And although the share price has fallen back to where they originally invested, they had taken profits of around £500,000. And we should also go off the whole cryptocurrency note that although Argo blockchain has been volatile, it's in the books at seven pence per share, which is a little bit below the current price. But I assume that's probably what you'd get if you sold your shares. We also talked about the issue of CLNs, but we must note that that is actually a thing of the past. All the CLNs 
as of numerous RNS releases to date. In fact, since April 2019, there have been various RNS releases spelling out that all of these CLNs have now been converted to equity. It seems that we were unable to decipher this yesterday, but thankfully after some further reading, we now realize other things too. One thing is that net profits aren't that important to a company like Vela. What is important is the uplift in the value of their investments. So if you look at them on a couple of years basis, they have achieved that. So there is growth there. And Vela has zero capex. There is no capital expenditure. Tech companies have capital expenditure. These guys are investors in disruptive tech. So the only costs they have are administrative expenses of around £200,000 in total. And there are no further costs or expenses, as I just mentioned. And we'll now talk about the net loss figure. I mentioned that Vela made a net loss of £1.3 million. Well, £1.1 million of that includes fair value write downs. And that basically just means a depreciation from the previous period in terms of their gross assets. Gross assets were down from £3.6 million to £2.5 million. But if you look in comparison to previous years, they have only delivered growth in those investments. I mean, Interbit went from 50 cents to $18 and they were smart enough to get out the majority of their shareholding and actually take profits on a period where there was a lot of cryptocurrency hype. So they wanted to diversify their assets, and put more focus onto investments that would actually deliver good returns. So that is actually quite cool. I think that we were wrong about Vela and they should be a company that you should look into. Airporter for one. I mean, Series A funding shows that they're in an early stage, but the fact that there has been so much interest in Airporter shares could deliver a similar return from Vela's investment in WeShop, the way they got 100K to turn into 427,000 pounds. They could easily change this 3.1% shareholding of around 162,000 shares into something more. Vibe pay is something I'm quite interested in because they were on the brink of administration and well, they got sorted and they're launching their first Vibe pay product on the end of September 2019. Social banking, kind of like Monzo and other things we could talk about. They also hold shares in Stream TV, 0.19% of a shareholding. And one other thing I should probably note on Vela is that they had a decent amount of interest earned on an early loan conversion of their stream TV loans that they had given. They made something like around 162,000 pounds and half of that was just interest alone, which is really impressive. Almost so half of that was profit and the interest was something like $40,000, I believe or so, but they had delivered such a decent return. I think management is smart to say the least. There are some other assets too, but there's, there are probably smaller assets. I mean, Roslyn Data Tech, we should probably mention, is around £100,000. There's a Blockchain 2 Corp holding, which is actually minimal. The mistake I made yesterday was that Vela was cryptocurrency and blockchain focused. But if we look at their holdings, it, in the past, they probably had nothing more than 15% of a shareholding on companies related to cryptocurrency and blockchain. If we look at Argo Blockchain, they hold around £200,000 and we could probably say Argo Blockchain plus Blockchain 2 Corp plus maybe in a bit 
gives them around 15% of their total portfolio or so. I mean, nothing more than 20% if we were being mega conservative. We will definitely add Vela to our watch list as they have done what few companies can actually do, prove us wrong. <laughs> we had a problem with their fundamentals, but then we didn't realize that the bigger picture actually helped us. This is why we encourage as many of you as possible to actually do your due diligence. Research as much as you can before you press buy or press shorts. <laughs> it's totally up to you, but you must make sure that you have reduced as much risk as possible by factoring in every single possible scenario. Okay, so judging off time, we've probably got one stock that we can talk about, but first we'll talk about futures, commodity futures in fact. Brent oil is trading at $62.24. It had risen yesterday after our LSE closed from $62 to 62 spot 74. So the fact that oil prices have retreated a little bit doesn't help energies and the XOP energy sector has depressed relative to the S&P 500 performance. That basically means that even though the S&P has been rallying, stocks in the energy sector have failed to actually deliver the returns that are similar to that. So those stocks that have high betas, otherwise known as correlations to indexes, haven't performed and the correlation is getting weaker and weaker. In fact, I did a correlation test the other day and I saw a beta of 1.7, well actually the other month, a beta of 1.7 on uh, a company that I had mentioned, Enquist. And then I did another test now, or more so last night, and then I got a beta of 0.1 for a shorter term bit of data, something like 15 days. 15 days is usually a bad sample, but if you can use 30 days, 60 days odd, you'll get a better one. We just used it to see if there are any short-term variations in the beta figures. And there obviously was with regards to index figures and then the actual figures from the share price. So it is crazy to actually see that shares in the energy sector are at lower levels than before the Saudi oil crisis of which a strike had been hit on a refinery in Saudi Arabia by supposedly Houthi rebels or potentially just those who had it in their strategic interest to bomb a refinery. Well, that had the price of oil at around $60. The price of oil right now is 62. After the strike, oil prices had rallied all the way to something like $71 momentarily. And we're talking about Brent oil, so the more expensive of the two. And if anyone's confused on what Brent oil is versus crude oil, crude oil, otherwise known as WTI crude oil, is from the US, West Texas Intermediate is what WTI stands for. And Brent oil, Brent oil basically comes from the North Sea, so it's kind of known as UK oil. US oil versus UK oil, we could just put it that way. In fact, if you're trying to chart the futures of Brent oil and WTI oil, for Brent, you go UK oil. For crude, you would go US oil. A simple difference, but uh, the interesting thing that I had picked up on is the fact that oil prices are now around 3-4% higher, but the energy index has dropped back 
way below the level at which it had been before at $60. And now the price, as we mentioned, is around 4% higher, which is worrying. I mean, we could look at stocks, as we mentioned before. Premier Oil is one. They were trading at around 85 pence per share before the strike and they spiked to 96, went down all the way to 77. And the shares might even be down today. Same thing with Enquist. Enquist is now around 18 pence per share. Same thing with Tullow. It just shows that investors are either losing confidence or there are areas of naked shorting going on. But we'll cover that in another episode. What is even more painful for investors is the fact that all of these companies I've mentioned, uh, Tullow, Premier, Enquist, etc. Even Gulf Keystone Petroleum, Janelle Energy, the list could go on, Can Energy, etc. Those companies are all free cash flow generative companies. They are making money, yet for some reason they are being brutalized in terms of their share prices. That we need to ask ourselves a question. Why are we buying overbought retail stocks and not realizing that there are companies making value. Well, oil stocks, oil and gas stocks in general are really risky. They have a lot of geopolitical risk throughout their supply chain and production process. And what if they get hit with a huge impairment? Well, retail stocks don't really get hit with those kind of things. But we then compare oil stocks to banking. Well, banking have issues of regulation that supersede oil stocks. A lot of people in the past have said, I'd rather not have any energy exposure, but then they have banking exposure. And so we need to really be analyzing our portfolio and also constructing it based off risk. If you think that a stock has a lot of risk, decrease the weighting in your portfolio. If you have a huge amount of conviction, you could increase that level and put it to a realistic level. One of the biggest mistakes in my history of trading is overexposing myself. In the large portfolio, I had exposed 40% to one stock. Now I've reduced that to around 20%, but it was purely because of large levels of conviction. But what we should be doing is investing proportionate to risk. There are risk-weighted portfolios everywhere. You could go on websites like Ray Dalio's. He's got one called the All Weather Portfolio, I believe, and that was risk-weighted on equities, risk-weighted on bonds, risk-weighted, well, corporate bonds to be more specific because you can't really risk-weight on risk-free assets such as treasury bonds because they are really the level of which your returns are basically quote-unquote free. So you have to perform against the risk-weighted level. Hence the term risk-adjusted returns that uh, is otherwise known as the Sharpe Ratio. And the final stock we're going to cover is called Hydrodeck. Many of you are probably familiar with this stock as it was a darling back a year or so ago until they had a fire at their Canton plant. This company is known as a clean tech industrial oil refining group, or sorry, an oil re-refining group. And today they've announced their unaudited results for the six months ended the 30th of June, 2019. Chris Ellis, the former CEO of the company and currently a non-exec director, is to actually replace David Dinwoodie as CEO. So they replaced their CEO a year or so ago and it seems they're getting one of their directors back in charge because management hasn't been the same. If we look at their trading update, sales volumes 
of this palm oil that these guys are producing has actually increased to 11 million liters in comparison to 10.3 million liters in the corresponding period last year. So the first half of 2018, they had produced 10.3 million liters and they continue to get their average selling prices marginally higher than half one 2018. And it is encouraging against the backdrop of a softer crude market. But if we look at the numbers, the income had increased to 7.2 million, but we must be careful. This is revenue. This is not profits. And if we look at the overall loss for the period, it remains broadly flat at around $3.2 million. Hydrodeck is literally churning money on the regular. It is unfortunate because before the fire had occurred, they were a profitable company. And I remember actually being a shareholder in Hydrodeck. Uh, after the fire in Canton, I had to sell off my shareholding. But it seems that this overall loss is reduced in comparison to the previous period, but it's only reduced by $100,000. It's nothing great. The major shareholder, Andrew Black, has actually decided to extend his support to the business by giving an additional $3 million, demonstrating his belief in the turnaround strategy. For anyone who doesn't know who Andrew Black is, he was a co-founder of a betting company of which he made quite a lot of money on and he has been involved with Hydrodeck for a very, very long time. And this side of additional funding will actually provide a cash runaway for operational needs. So if we look at the financials, the cash and cash equivalents at the beginning period had been around $1.4 million. Well, now they've got $178,000, otherwise known as around £140,000, with a bank overdraft of $446,000. That gives them a net cash balance of $267,000. And if we convert that to pounds, that's £222,000. In reference to their losses, I think that net decrease in cash of one7 million dollars is going to result in them needing cash soon and they've addressed this by saying that andrew black will extend a three million facility i don't know whether this is through a placing of shares or just some kind of loan that will unlikely be paid back in the future if we look at total assets and then we go to the net asset figure i believe Hydrodeck have a net asset figure of around $21 million. That actually shows that the shares are trading at around a 50% discount if we convert everything to pounds. And this 50% discount is to their net asset value, which is impressive. And it shows that if you are bullish on the stock and believe that they can turn things around, then you've got some easy upside value of around, if you're in at 11, million of evaluation, around 60-70% upside, which is impressive. I mean, I was long in 2018 when the shares were around six or seven times pre-consolidation what the price is now. The market cap was probably two and a half times though, because dilution obviously brings down the share price without affecting the market cap. It's unfortunate because if we look at the share price in the past year, highs of 190 pence per share and at current lows 41 odd pence per share. It will be interesting to see 
how this funding works. But at the moment, we'll just sit on the sidelines and watch and probably research into the recent developments. It's interesting to note that the previous CEO, Chris Ellis, has now actually come back to replace the CEO who had had a potential conflict of interest with another clean energy firm. So that is fair, there aren't any problems there, but we have to follow the transformational period ever since uh, the fire had occurred at Cantor and see if Hydrodeck can really become something that can generate value for shareholders in the long run. And on that note, I've been your host Ryan Kier. I'm gonna head off to catch my train. I've probably got like five minutes, so I'm gonna dash, but uh, I'll leave it on that note. Until next time.